0: The reason we don't like to look in the mirror is because of avoidance. There's something that we're going to see that we don't want to see. So let's not look because then we can avoid it. I teach the exact opposite.
1: You are now listening to The Living Numbers and the Tony Rambles, Rambles, Rambles and The Living Numbers Podcast. All right, here we go. This is The Living Numbers Podcast where everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. Now we all know that this is the Living Numbers Podcast, and the numbers tell the story, but the people, they give it the purpose. And today, we have on an Olympian. So, I'm like, yo, this person reaches out to me, and they're like, oh, yeah, I went to the Rio Games 2016. like, yo, I got to have that person on. We have to make this happen. So, Shawnee, say hello to the people.
0: Hello, people. I cannot wait (laughs) to have you hear what's going on today. And I have no idea what's going to be. It's going to be amazing though.
1: Absolutely. We are aligned. (laughs) Yeah. Make sure you uh, subscribe, download, like. This is not your first rodeo. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you subscribe on Apple or Spotify, you get the extra stuff. So, me and Shawnee had a 10 or 12 minute conversation about ice cream And favorite food and being aligned, and you don't want to miss that. So make sure. Emotional
0: intelligence. We we talked about emotional intelligence too. That's pretty important.
1: Very important, which I'm sure we'll get to Mm -hmm. when we get to what Shawnee does and how she's gotten there. But let's not bury the lead. Let's jump into our first number, which is 2016, because you went to the Olympics in Rio in 2016. So my first question is, what surprised you the most when you you get there, you land, and so you go, oh, that's different, or, oh, I didn't expect that?
0: Hmm. Well, the 2016 Olympics were in Rio, which is Brazil. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that struck me is we forget how rich we are. And I just mean that like where we are, where we're born, where we're raised, where we're living, we are in a first world country. Mm. And the things that we take for granted, you know, every day when we drove to the gym, we drove past the the bus. We had we went past the slums, right? There's no there's no running water. There's no sewer. Uh, the traffic is I've never seen anything like it. So that to me, you know, like you you come to the Olympics and you're like, wow, this is on the world stage, but this mm. world stage is happening in the backyard of people that do not have running water, do not have sewer, do not have electricity.
1: Wow. And that's, man, we are so fortunate. We talked about gratitude before Mm -hmm. we jumped on here. And it's nothing like seeing others misfortune, right? Unfortunately, uh, to make us realize how much we do have. So please uh, tell people uh, what brought you to the Olympics? What was your events? You know, how did you get there and how long did it take? I would imagine that this is a long, grueling process.
0: Well, you know, cards on the table here. I wanted to be at the Olympics as an athlete. But I was at the Olympics as an assistant coach because my athletic dream got shattered a number of years earlier because I flat out wasn't good enough. Wow. And I found another, another passion that could keep me in sport. And I ended up being at two Olympics as an assistant coach with uh, women's basketball. And I worked at my craft for... I don't know what the, you know, I mean, the the number is so big. So I'm going to, I'm, I worked at my craft for probably 30 years because, right. You, I started coaching quite young and it's not like your first year coaching. Oh yay! look at me now I'm at the Olympics. That's not how it works. Right. You have to put in the time. So it was a, it was a long, long journey, but holy cows, was it ever worth it?
1: So you coached basketball. And so who are some of your, your standout players, I want to say early on in your career that made you go, wow, this person is off the charts.
0: My first experience with our Olympic team, like I've been coaching already for, you know, 25, 30 years, but not at that level. Mm -hmm. I remember showing up at our very first training camp, my first time there and watching these women compete. I was so glad that I was standing on the sidelines. Like I watching, I'm like, I could never have imagined myself being that Mm -hmm. level of athlete. You know, when you see it for real, their, their compete level, is is off the charts their capacity to train mm-hmm. and to train hard their capacity to tolerate discomfort physical discomfort right because we would train our butts off then we're going into the weight room mm-hmm. and this just goes over and over and over and then we're traveling to europe and then there's an eight hour time change and these women, I'm telling you, I, I, I was just unbelievably blown away. I had no idea what athletes looked like. Because when you see it on TV, yeah, they make well, TV look so easy. We all sit there and go, oh, I could do that. but my nobody. goodness. When I got to see <laughs> up close and personal, it was so impressive.
1: Who was your favorite player to watch?
0: For our team?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I'm giving you an answer that's different than what I thought I was going to give you. Okay. The, ath- the, the athletes that were so interesting for me to watch were our post players. And here's why. One of them was 6'6". Six, six, I'm going to say 6'6". Six, six. 6'6 uh, six, six, and another one is 6'5 and I think the reason that I was so intrigued is like I'm like 5'5 five, five, and I'm like what would it have been like Wow, growing up with size 14 feet and being a female <laughs> I, what would it have been like every single class picture you're like yes. you're towering above and then are, there's all the other little heads. I just I just think that is so fascinating because particularly in female sport being the tallest, the strongest, the biggest that's not socially cool Mm-mm. when you're growing up. So that's what I always enjoyed watching because I'm like what a journey. These women have been on all of these years where they probably got teased. And now here they are at the highest level. Yes. Not just grown into their body, but grown into owning their body.
1: And then taking that, all of that kind of negativity that comes with that and all of the the teasing. and, And I'm sure that there are tons of. of of good things that happen too, but you know, you take the good with the bad, but taking it all, rolling it up and going, okay, I'm going to be the best at this, you know, through it all, through the size 14 feet, through, through being the biggest one in the class through people probably calling me names that are unseemly and unsightly watch this. And then they go out there and they could likely for sure probably just, just, D- destroy grown men on the court as well. Right? And so I really like it when uh people give these women their props cuz I started watching women's basketball when a-, a friend of mine uh name drop here Kareema Christmas, she played Duke basketball. Uh she we went to high school together Ooh, and she went to Duke like, yo. Mm-hmm. My friend goes to Duke, I got to watch. Yeah. And so from there, I just started to enjoy the game. I think when when you understand like women's basketball is a different game than men's basketball. Like you're not right. you're not looking for the same things, but if you can right. take it and just enjoy it for what it is, then there's no there's no issue. And so when I started to watch, I'm like, "Okay, yeah, this is pretty pretty good." And then as the years have gone by, the skill level has just gone up and up and up and up and up and up. And the competition level as well it goes up and up and up and up, you know? So where do you see the women's game kind of going next? Like, what do they need to do to not necessarily make it more popular, but to just make it better, take it to the next level?
0: I think it's already on its way. It's not just basketball. If you look at what's happening in women's soccer, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's um, we're starting to appreciate it more. Yes. And I think one of the reasons that the general population is appreciating it more, the skill level has just gone, the, the skill level is just unbelievable. And yeah. I really think that's what makes it enjoyable. I mean, what's happening in college women's basketball, you know, in some of these top programs, and then you've got the WNBA, and then you've got the, you've got the Olympic teams. You, you know, you got to hand it to women. I mean, we were late coming to the party for all of the reasons that we're not our doing.
1: Right. And
0: wow, we are partying. We're partying hard. And I mean, yeah. these women, they are putting the time in and their skill level is going up. And the level of play is reflecting that. And so is the, the number of people that are now tuning in. It's, I think we're. I don't think there's anything more we need to do except what we're doing. Just keep doing it more.
1: Yeah, yeah. I coach girls basketball. So uh, last year we had a player. Uh, her name's Zaya. She's graduated, and when I tell you this girl was, I mean, she was quick. She could handle the ball. She can get her shot off. I'm like, I would take her and go play against boys with no problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No problem at all. When I um coached at University of Houston for the rec team, I coached these young women. I mean, again, I would take four of them and we would just go play, whoever. It didn't matter. And so I think them now earning that respect, really, it's it's satisfying for me kind of being seeing it from a decade and a half ago, right? I don't even look that old. But from 2010 to now to where it is, and they're getting that respect, I'm like, yo, women been hooping. Like, I, I know. I hooped with them. <laughs> I would take Angie and Ariel and JT and Shannon, and we would go hoop against guys, right? and we'd do totally fine. No problem. Um, when did you begin to just love basketball? love sport? Because like we talked about before, you do way more than just basketball. When did you love to, when did that
0: start? Well, I had the advantage that my dad was a phys ed teacher and my mom wasn't overly athletic, but she didn't miss a trick. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had parents that were like, wow, what do you want to do? I'm like, let's go do this. Let's try that. So I, I played all the sports and you know what? Another advantage that I had from my parents started me in it. But then the other advantage I had is I went to a really small school and I played every single sport, (laughs) whatever the season was. I just followed the seasons from September till June. And I really believe that that was advantage. That was back in the day before we, we we were even talking about sport specializing. Thank you. We, we see it now, right? These kids are specializing in sport at such an early age, just one sport. And back in the day, I didn't have that luxury. I had to play all the sports. Otherwise, you didn't have enough for a team because I was in a small school. So I learned to love all of them. And I don't know why I picked... Basketball. It was kind of the wrong sport if I wanted to go to the Olympics as a as a basketball player because I'm only five foot five. I I think I love the there's something about that team sport, you know, and it mm. the 1v1, like that it's me against you, and you're right in front of my face, and I'm right in front of your face. As opposed to being across the nets, you know, like volleyball or in individual sports are different as well. I really loved the competitiveness. Mm. that came out of me when i played basketball.
1: Did you always So i'm guessing you played point guard, right?
0: I did, yes.
1: So what kind of point guard were you? I'm I'm just guessing as a as a business owner, as a as a coach, you were more of a of a floor general.
0: I was. I was a I I believe I was a floor general and I believe I was a leader. I mm. wish I'd had a little more skill. Um, but in my high school, I told you I was in a small high school, right? So I was a, a big fish in a little pond. I was plenty good enough and then not good. You know, I, I played for three years afterwards in college Mm -hmm. and eventually got cut because I wasn't good enough, but I always, that's the job of the floor general, isn't it? They have to, the coach can't come on the floor in the games. We wish we could. I know. Trust me, me too. When I was a coach, I wanted to call timeouts and walk right in there and have a little practice, do a drill, smarten my team up. Anyway, so as a point guard, I tried, I tried to be the coach on the floor.
1: So what happened um, in those three years where you played, and take us to that, that memory. Take us to that moment where you go, dang, you know what? I don't think I can hang. Cause that's probably that's a tough realization for for a competitor
0: yeah and i never got that realization until after the fact i mean again i came from a small school and the best i grew up in uh british columbia canada and the best university women's program was three and a half four hours from where i grew up mm. the best program in our country And I'm like, wow, that sounds like the place for me. This was the days before we didn't have recruiting, all that stuff. So I just showed up and I made the team as a walk-on. And then I played for three years and it wasn't, I would have played longer, but it wasn't my choice. Mm. (laughs) My coach cut me and I was really ticked off. Like, I was sad and really ticked off at my coach. Cause I'm like, can't you see how good I am? Like right? we don't, our self-awareness when we're that age is really low. A lot Wait. of us think we're better than we are. I know I did. And I was so pretty you, darn average.
1: So you didn't, so you weren't in practice and playing against these better players and thinking like, man, I'm kind of getting smoked here.
0: You know, that's such a good question. I mean, we had, we had some very good, like we had national players on our university team were playing on our national team at that time. And then there was Mm -hmm. me, I guess I, man, that's such a good question. I just think I had low self-awareness because I would just always be like, man, I want to D them up. And they probably scored on my head a lot, but I'm like, I'm like, okay, next play. Like, come on, D it up. I couldn't score very well because uh, they were D and me up. And you know what? It's you're right. I just didn't really pay attention. I was unable to identify how big the gap was between mm. me. and them. Like I knew there was a gap, but I didn't think it was as big as my coach thought it was.
1: Because I know you being the coach on the other side. And when some people are in the game, I'm like, you are you, you're killing us like you're killing us but that same player sometimes i don't think this is often but that same player sometimes will go like like why am i not in the game like why am i not playing i'm like are you kidding me do you not see this do you do you not see you're messing up every time or, you turn, or you're turning or your turnover machine like i don't know maybe i'm just a little more self-aware or maybe because i didn't I'm I was good but I never really got my my opportunity right so it's always like I never really got a chance to see how good I was against the best competition just cuz of the factors that were out of my control and so I don't know maybe I'm just always I always looked at it a lot from the sideline or from a different point of view I don't I don't even know but I have kids and I'm sure you've had players and coached players. Well, you go, you getting killed out there, and you're asking me why. And the worst part is the parents sitting in the stands. Oh and you go, Are you not, are you not watching the game? You're asking me about your child's playing time. Do you not? Do you not see what I'm seeing? We all see this. That's so that is so insightful that you're telling this story, and you're like, Nope. I was just like, next play. You know, yeah, maybe I got scored on, but that's a part of basketball. So what? You know, everybody gets scored on. And your coach is probably thinking like, oh, man, this is awful. Like, maybe not that bad because, right, we're talking about a high level, right? We're talking national level. But eventually you get cut and, you know, everybody gets cut for a reason. Like, have you ever been in that position, too, where you had to cut players, send them out, send them home?
0: Oh, many Many times and very rarely did those players agree with my assessment. <laughs> and I mean, when I look back on that, I look on it, and I'm like, well, how could they? they and so if you just think, so we're talking about self-awareness, right? Yes. It's the ability to look in the mirror and see the truth. When do we get good at that? Like <laughs> late, late in life. And also we, as coaches, as we get older, we are using our adult brain, our adult eyes. Mm. They have kids' brain and kids' eyes, like their brains are still developing. The prefrontal cortex doesn't finish developing till our early to mid-20s. So they cannot see themselves accurately. Now, how do we excuse the parents because they their prefrontal yeah, cortex is developed? But you know what? This is what I say to parents all the time. You see what you're looking for. Yep. And what That's you're looking good. for is your child to have more playing time and get more shots. You don't see the misses. You don't see the turnovers. You don't see them getting beat on D because that isn't what you want to see. You see what you're looking for.
1: That's good. I'm going to use that because that is exactly what's happening. And so we're going to move to your actual mental toughness cuz I think that's what we what we're talking about is striving to kind of get to that place, right? A lot of us don't see it. Our our emotional intelligence isn't there. Our self-awareness isn't there. So we're going to move to our next number. And I saw on your website, you have the three F words. Wait. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Three F words. You also got another three things, but we're going to talk about that next. So talk about the three Fs and how they work in the grand scheme of what you do.
0: I think the most important job I have when I work with athletes and their parents and coaches, but athletes is where I start. The most important job I have is helping them learn what to do with how they feel. Because if you ever wanted to have a feeling, play a sport. Mm. Play a sport. You're going to have every feeling and a whole bunch of them you don't like. And so the F words come with this part of sport that, That brings our deepest feelings. So, the first F word that I have is fake. The second one is fear. The third one is feel. Sport says, fake it till you make it.
1: I hate that saying.
0: Hide from your fear and avoid your feelings. I'm like, how in the world are we going to be emotionally intelligent when we're faking? We're hiding yes. from our fear, and we're avoiding our feelings. How how does that that's that's never gonna? Mm-hmm. Those things are not going to connect. We're we're going to be the opposite of emotionally intelligent.
1: Faking, hiding, and avoiding. Yeah. Wow. Think about those words and how detrimental they can be to here, and here. Continue, yes. please.
0: I think sport sells us something that is false. Mm. Sport says, uh, sport teaches us that you just have a mindset. Here's how you got a good mindset. Just get out there and be confident. You got this. Fake it till you make it. There, I just fixed you. And I just, it just doesn't, I've been doing this for so long and speaking with athletes It doesn't work because we are avoiding the uncomfortable truth, which brings in another F word, face. We need to face our fears. We need to face our feelings. Because that helps us see the truth.
1: Absolutely. And the
0: truth sets us free. Another F word.
1: Wow. The truth its it's difficult, and I think that what I try to do, especially with everybody, is go, okay, here are our strengths, here are our weaknesses, right you acknowledge it yourself you're a five five, okay this is what I have okay now how do I use this? How do I be my best with what I have? And so I tell girls like you're not that fast, okay how do you get around that? You got to be smarter. Right? You got to know what's going on at all times. Right, You got to be in position before they know what the position even is. Okay, That's how you're going to be able to stay. And so how do you kind of break it down to, to your athletes or whoever you're coaching, because I would imagine you coach people who aren't athletes as well, um, to kind of look at themselves in the mirror and start to face these things?
0: That's such a good question the reason we don't like to look in the mirror mm. is because of avoidance there's something that we're going to see that we don't want to see so let's not look because then we can avoid it i teach yep. the exact opposite the concept is the concept is two truths and the truth is every single time we show up in sport jobs relationships, hobbies, whatever, wherever it is. There will always be two truths. We're going to get what we want, or we're going to get what we don't want. Sport teaches us to avoid the second one, which is the uncomfortable truth. And it says, Mm. fake it till you make it. You got this, just get out there and be confident. When we face the truth, That I might get what I want. I might not. I'm going to take a shot. It might go in. It might not. I'm going to D up. I'm either going to stop you or I'm not. We're either going to win or we're going to lose. Yep. When we face the truth, which is the opposite of of avoiding, here's why it's so helpful. We stop fearing the outcome.
1: There we go. There we go.
0: If we say, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna here here's the balls in my hands. I'm gonna shoot it. I'm either gonna make it or miss it. And I'm going to shoot it anyway. Our team's playing today. We're either gonna win or going to lose. And I'm going to get out there and empty the tank.
1: How important is it to have that second part?
0: I can't tell you how important it is because all the athletes that I'm working with when they first come to me, none of them are doing this. Because they've been taught to avoid the part that's uncomfortable. Oh, and here's the other thing. They've been told, you can have anything you want.
1: Oh, no. I'm like,
0: you cannot. No, you can't. The truth is, you might get something you want, and you might get something you don't want. Go for it anyway.
1: Yep. Yep, yep. And I tell... I feel like I'm always talking about this. I tell my kids, <laughs> "Just go for it, right? Whatever it is, go for it with all you got, and let the chips fall where they may, right? Do your best, because what more can you do than that? You know, what more can you do besides doing your best? I don't know, You're maybe. Right.
0: But maybe there's you have a an reason answer. they don't. Mm, tell So it comes back to the fear. The reason that I don't want to go for it is I'm fearful that I might make mistakes if Mm. I take a risk. So what I teach is the opposite of fear. No, I got to go a different way. Take your time. To really go for it, it takes courage Mm. to take risks. To try something new, to try something hard, when it really matters, takes courage. And this is what I, before when I didn't know this other piece, I would just tell athletes, just get out there, just be courageous, go for it. Then you just let the chips fall where they may. And I was cheering them on and I'm like, why aren't they doing it? And then I figured out there was a piece of the puzzle that I was missing. Mm. The reason that they were not going for it and they were fearful is when it didn't work out, judgment kicks in. Yep. So I'm like, oh, I see. Now I have to teach them another F word. It's the opposite of judgment. Forgive. Ooh, I like it. I must learn and be willing Mm -hmm. to forgive myself for being imperfect. So in other words, I'm going to take a risk. It might work out. It might not. If it works out good for me, if it doesn't work out, I'm going to forgive myself for being imperfect. And mm. I'm going to try it again. If we don't have this forgiveness piece, the mistakes and the judgment will keep us in fear-based behaviors.
1: Wow. 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 That's the best I can do.
0: (laughs) And doesn't sport teach us the opposite? Do you know? Well, this is what I believe because that's what I observe. Sport Mm -hmm. teaches us and rewards us for being hard on ourselves. Do you know how many coaches will say to me, oh, you know what? My athletes, they're so hard on themselves. And I'm like, yeah, and stop using that as a badge of honor. We, sport, we use it as a badge of honor. How, when we see athletes beat themselves up, throw themselves under the bus, we're like, oh, they're so hard on themselves. I'm like, I know. And look at how detrimental that is.
1: Mm. Where's sport that middle it ground? A badge
0: of honor, and we need to stop doing that.
1: Where's that middle ground? Because, you know, you want your athletes to care, but you don't want them to... Care so much that they can't get past it. They can't forgive themselves. So how do you how do you get to that middle ground? Because I know if we get blown out, I don't want to hear. As soon as we get on the bus, like, man, well, where we're going to dinner? Like, it's you know, I, I need a little bit more time than that. You know what I'm saying? And you know, as a coach, when things don't when they don't bounce your way, like so. How does that middle ground work? Where have you been able to find it or have you found it?
0: Yeah. The middle ground always seems to be shifting. <laughs> I mean, the, I, I think the concept comes again, we're trying to talk about how do we show up healthy in sport and what does it mean to be unhealthy in sport? And what I mm. see, the majority of athletes are unhealthy in sport. So let's go to the middle ground. There's something about the difference between the want and the need. Mm. I want to win, but I don't need to. Yep. One is healthy. One is unhealthy. I work with athletes. Oh my gosh. And I'm real. I have to really give them my best, my best sauce. Their sport owns them. And Mm. I mean, when, when, so I've got a, a 15 year old that I'm working with. He's a hockey player. He got cut from a team devastated. There's a difference between disappointed and devastated. Oh yeah. I think disappointed is healthy. I think devastated when you're 15, you don't, you don't recover. It takes you a long time to bounce back. You feel shame. I think that's unhealthy because he needed so badly to make that team. Mm. And then when we don't get what we want, remember the two truths, it destroys us. I think there's a middle ground of, I want to win and I'm going to be disappointed if I don't, but it's not going to devastate me. There's the opposite of... I don't even know what the opposite is, but where the outcome doesn't phase you one way or the other, like I call those those are the rec players, mm. the recreational players, and that's fine. There's a there's a spot for that.
1: Yes, where you don't have
0: it. to care too much. But in competitive sport, I remember it used to bug me so much when we'd be driving after a game, and I'm you know I'm fuming because we underperformed and the athletes are in the back joking around.
1: Right. Right.
0: So now if I could go back to those scenarios again, this is what I wish I would have done differently. Why did I expect them to carry the burden of the loss for a required amount of time? And if they didn't fit in that required amount of time, I made a judgment about them. Mm. Why didn't I, as a coach, say, we're going to talk about what we need to talk about after the game. And when we leave this change room, nobody leaves this, this dressing room until we have sorted out our feelings. And once you walk out the door, You can be anything you want. You can be happy, disappointed, upset. It doesn't matter. But coaches do this all the time. There's a designated mourning period. (laughs) But we forget to tell them that. Mm. I actually think athletes bring some healthiness to this that as coaches, we don't, we hang on. I will only speak for myself. I hung on to negative things and losses for far too long it would have served me well to be able to deal with all of my feelings before I left that locker room.
1: That's important. And I think that creating that space as the coach to do that, then I feel like allows the athletes an opportunity to see into what we're thinking and now how we're feeling about the loss And for me, having coached some pretty decent teams and some pretty awful teams, my thing is always, okay, did we beat ourselves? It's a difference between that team just being better than us. They have better players or whatever the case may be. But if I feel like we didn't play up to our capabilities and, you know, as a coach, you hammer the same things. Okay, this is how we win. These are the keys. You know, be here, run these plays and they get out there. And it's like I didn't. It's like you didn't coach anything at all the entire week or however many days you have in between games. I think that is the harder part for me. Now, I'm not like a a grudge holder. Like I don't really hold on to things long anyway, but. Those are the times that it's more difficult for me. If we go out there, we play our game, and everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, but the ball doesn't bounce our way different, as opposed to, like I said before, does that make a difference in how you think about these uh, losses or how you uh, address your, your athletes? Or does it either way, you do it all the same?
0: You're bringing up this concept of, of F-words, feelings again, what I heard you say is when my team performs to the level that they're capable of win mm. or lose, I can accept that. Yes. When they underperform. So they perform below their potential. What I propose is it's because of feelings. It's not mm. like their skills all of the sudden got worse on game day. Like, you don't, you don't get work. It's not like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how to dribble anymore. Where'd that come from? Oh, I don't know how to, sh-. that that's not what it is. There's a reason that we underperform choke, right? Whatever words we want to use. I believe it's always based on the feelings and I'm calling this the voice of self-doubt. Mm. When we underperform, the voice of self-doubt has taken over. We're fearful We play it safe. We do the easy things. We don't take risks. And so when I'm working with coaches and they say, oh, my team sucked today and we blah, 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 blah. I always ask them, have you thought about why? And you know what they always tell me? I have no idea because we just worked on that drill in practice. I'm like, well, that's an emotionally unintelligent answer. Because it has nothing to do with your your drills. It mm. has to do with what was going on because sport is full of storms. The majority of them are emotional, not physical. So when they're underperforming, see if you can tap into what's going on in their heart. It's a fear-based behavior. Choking and underperforming is a fear-based behavior. What are they afraid of? That would be a really good question to ask nice your perfect.
1: athletes. I am going to. I probably just need to tattoo that on my forehead. Because <laughs> that's a great question to ask. Because a lot of times we can, I think we, we can see it on their faces, right? I'm talking about teenage girls here. Yes. You can see it on, on their faces and in their actions. They're tentative. You know, they look like unsure. And so asking that question, I think, again, opens the door. And so then we can address it. And now we can, you know, move forward and go after it. And the expectations I think are reset. I think everybody's reset. Like, okay, we found out the fear. Okay. Now we can go, all right. Yeah. Don't worry about if you missed a shot. I want you to keep taking shots. And then when they miss a shot, you go, okay, it's fine. You clap, you cheer them on. Like, that's fine. That was a good shot. Take that shot again and then I think you kind of see it start to turn around. So I feel like we've done that. I've done it. I'll speak for myself. I've done it. But we don't do it enough. And I saw your face light up. I think you had something.
0: Well, your 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 point is so valid. So if we, if we agree that most of the storms in sport are emotional, not physical. But watch how coaches coach. Mm-hmm. What do we say? So when things don't go well, what are we saying? Come on, you got to make that shot. What are you doing? Then we get a timeout and what do we do? We criticize, lecture. Oh, and then we get out our whiteboard and then we start diagramming plays. Like that's going to fix the emotional storm. We have to tap into heart. Emotional storms are in the heart, not the head. What if we came into a timeout and we didn't even bring our whiteboard? Like when you see the faces of those teenage girls, you know exactly what that looks like. What are they looking for? Security. They're looking for safety, security, validation. We got this. I remember one time when I was coaching, we were winning the game, playing great. And this team freaking hits a shot on the buzzer to tie so we're going into overtime. We, um, I'm talking with my assistant coaches. I come to the bench and I'm looking at our team and they're, I can tell they're just devastated. They're like, we just, in their minds, they're like, well, we just lost the game. And I looked right at them and I said, you know what, team? I'm going to tell you something that the other team doesn't know. We have them right where we want them. Again, so it's. I'm getting, tapping into the heart. I'm trying to make them feel, oh my goodness, we got this.
1: Yeah, it's okay.
0: It's Yes, okay. we got this. So we can't just, we can't fix an emotional problem with a tactical suggestion. Mm. We can't fix an emotional problem by adding more judgment to the fear that is already there
1: wow so shawnee you've talked about a lot here and whoever you're coaching they're getting amazing advice and they're lucky to have you so i want to talk about your three don'ts and how did those come about
0: you gotta help me you gotta remind me i know my three f words You know what? I've got five. I gave, we started with three, but we ended up with five F words. Actually, six. What's the other two? We went face. We added face our feelings. We added freedom because we look in the mirror. And then we added forgive. We got Mm -hmm. six F words. Boom.
1: Those are all good F words, too, not the ones I hear in class sometimes. Okay. (laughs) Our three don'ts was I don't teach them to be tough. Ooh. I don't teach them to suck it up, Buttercup. Yeah, and I don't teach them to get out there and be confident.
0: Yes.
1: How'd you land on those?
0: The reason I landed on those is, is I thought to myself, as co- like I listen to what parents and coaches say, and I hear that a lot: "Suck it up, Buttercup. Just get out there and be confident." So I hear, I hear all that. And so I asked myself, huh, what they're telling the athlete to do is to get out there and be fake. Mm. And so I came up with those because I'm like, well, those are the three fake things that we tell our athletes to do. And I teach the exact opposite. I don't teach suck it up buttercup. That is such a ridiculous statement. I don't teach just get out there and be confident. That's because not how confidence
1: I, works anyway. What's that? I said, that's not how confidence works anyway. It's not a switch that you turn on.
0: You know what? When I'm working with athletes, I don't even use that word. I Well, their parents do, so then I talk about it. But this is why I think I'm not a fan. No, that's not true. I'll put it this way. I think confidence is overrated and misunderstood. Mm, yes. I believe it is an emotion based on results. It is not a personality characteristic. If you're not good at something, how in the world are you supposed to get out there and be confident? You can't. Confidence is based on self-trust. And if we don't trust ourselves, we can't be confident. I teach courage because I think we can choose to do something courageous Mm-hmm. Even when we don't feel confident. Because confidence is a feeling, courage is an action. Those like. two things can coexist.
1: So you've gathered this wealth of knowledge over your years of playing and coaching and observing and giving these different opportunities, be being put in these different situations. When did you decide, okay, this is a business. I need to take my show on the road. I need to get a website. You know, I need to get a wonderful logo. I love that logo, by the way. When did you decide, I need to package this and I need to get this to other people?
0: The thing that was the fork in the road for me was watching our team underperform at the Olympics in 2016. Mm. And I was part of that. I have to take responsibility for my role in that. I was part of the staff. Our team underperformed at the Olympics. And after I came home and I went into a very dark place with that result, right? Here you are on the world stage, the biggest day, the biggest stage of your life. When I came out of the dark place, I just remembered thinking there has to be a way to help athletes show up as their greatest self hmm. on the biggest day, the biggest stage of their life. And why do so few athletes do that? That was that was the fork in the road for me. And then COVID hit. Oh, wonderful. And... <laughs> Everybody is home. Everybody figures out how to you, like all of a sudden everything becomes virtual. Mm-hmm. And the struggles that COVID brought for everyone, athletes were completely shut down, right? No, there was nothing, no sports, no participation. So it started with the Olympics where I just, I'm like, this is it. I'm finding, I'm going to create something. There has to be a way to help athletes. Then COVID sort of comes in there because I was dabbling in it. It was kind of a thing I was doing on the side. And then COVID hit and I'm like, okay, I'm going all in. Go.
1: So what was the first thing that you did when you decided, all right, I'm going all in? What was like the first thing or the first call or the first email that you sent? What was it?
0: Those were, those were not hard. The hardest thing for me when I said I'm going all in, I had to learn a skill set that I did not have. I've always been a coach, you know, like I've just, I've always been, had this thing that I felt that I was good at, but build a website. I have no idea how to make a logo. I have no idea how to create an online course. I didn't know how to use, I didn't know what, how to do a PowerPoint. And then how to make audio video recordings and make like the learning curve was the, it became so obvious to me about how much I didn't know about running a business. I can coach people all day long. I had to learn how to make it a business. And that was my greatest challenge.
1: The organizational part, the administrative part. That is definitely a learning curve. Um, I can talk all day long. I can connect with just about anybody. I find the common ground. I'm good at that. But man, when you started talking about, okay, making, you know, trying to come up with a structure and you know, trying to, you know, the emails and that all of that stuff, I'm like the social media aspect, right? Knowing that I gotta post all the time and being on there and uploading and editing, it was like, oh man, okay, here we go. You know, you want to do something, you want to do it great. You got to start to learn. You got to start to train. You got to start to do all those things that we would apply to sports. We got to apply them to our businesses and how we want them to to look. The vision that we have for them takes work. Who uh, who's someone that helped you? Uh, maybe get over the hump in something specific. This is like a shout out because there's a couple of people that I would shout out, you know, that helped me do certain things when it came to, you know, podcasting. But who's somebody that helped you get over the hump in a certain area?
0: Do you mean from a business mm-hmm. perspective, running a running a business? Yep. I the the best thing I ever did was I um, I signed up for a course. Because when I was starting this like you don't you don't have any money to go you know what I don't need to make a website I'll just go hire that person you know what I don't need to do this online somebody can do it like I didn't have like here's all this money to go throw at people and I don't have yeah. to do anything so I'm a one woman band and I made a decision to invest in a coaching program and it was the hardest decision that I ever made because I had to spend I had to spend money, right? When you, when you invest financially, it really makes you invest your heart and soul and to show up. And I took a, a four-month course, mm. and that, that was game-changing for me. If anyone is kind of interested, um, the, Alok was my teacher, and he runs a business called Uplift Millions, Hmm. that was a game changer for me just to kind of figure out the nuances and how to do this. And, and they walked me through a whole bunch of things. It was worth 10 times over every penny that I spent. But then the cool part of it was I met other people in the course that were the same as me. And then when the course finished, we kept coaching each other for free. There we go. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I have two people, Stephanie and Elliot. I'm giving them both a shout out. shout out. And we call each other. And the first thing that comes on the call are like, Shawnee, did you do the thing that you said you were going to do when we talked last week? Like, we hold each other accountable. We do not filter our words. Hmm. We call a spade a spade. And we keep pushing and pulling each other toward greatness. I think this journey toward greatness is very difficult going solo.
1: Yes. We need Absolutely. a team. Oh man. It's, it's awesome to have great people around you to, to help you. Uh, and for you to help, because there's a certain satisfaction that you also get from helping others and yes. having that. When I went to a podcast movement in August, where it was just a bunch of people who all either ran podcasts or produced podcasts or were hosts on podcasts to have everybody there and to have people just like have you tried this? Have you tried this? What are you using for this? Are you mm-hmm. doing this? Oh, are you posting here? Are you posting there? Just and it was so much love. You know, I didn't feel anybody was trying to like take advantage of me or, or get over it w- it just felt like everybody was trying to help each other and pour into each other and so whether I kept I keep in contact with I, there's no way you can k- keep in contact with everybody but the people I do keep in contact with and where I you know messaging back and forth you know how's this going or even on social media now because I met those people and I follow them now I can show love on their posts and stuff and th- and I know them like I met these people personally and so that's also another way to stay connected which is huge for me awesome to have those great people in in our lives and so shout out shout out to those people Uh, Mm -hmm. before we get out of here i have my three what's i have my own threes and so my first what right these are all questions that you can answer as long or as short as you would like what's an opinion that you have that will be considered unpopular and you've thrown out tons already, but do you have anything that's a little bit different, maybe outside of coaching or in coaching up to you?
0: Well, my most unpopular opinion these days uh, seems to be give sport back to its rightful owners, the athletes. I think parents and coaches have taken over. Hmm. It's become a hardcore, cutthroat business. Yep. I think sports should belong to the athletes, and that has been pretty unpopular in most of my social media posts. So I usually get somebody hammering me on that.
1: That's a good one. I like it. I like it. That's a whole another podcast and can yep, that we is. could open. But you know what? We're going to move on to our next one. And I don't know. This one might be difficult for you. Maybe I haven't heard something yet that I might hear here. Uh, If you weren't in coaching, what field would you be in? What would you be doing?
0: If I wasn't in coaching. Mm
1: -hmm. No coaching.
0: I I would like to be a... A manager of people is that coaching? That's definitely <laughs> if, coaching. That's coaching. Dang it! Okay, <laughs> if I wasn't in coaching, you know what? I okay. So this is a magic wand because this isn't this wouldn't be realistic, but it doesn't sure. matter because you said you. I'm I'm giving myself a magic wand. If I wasn't in coaching. I would have liked to have been a professional athlete because I freaking love competing. Mm. I wasn't, yeah. I'm not talented enough to be a professional athlete. But man, if I had a magic wand, that's what I would have loved to do.
1: Six five instead of five five, we'd be in a different place, huh?
0: <laughs> Many different places if I were six five.
1: I think, and I say this a lot. I I would uh, imagine you feel the same way. It's like I don't even need six five. Like I'm five eight. I'm mm-hmm. like, yo, just give me like five eleven. Mm-hmm. Six, if six foot, like, no, I'd be a different person. Life would yep. be totally different. But I don't even need six foot. Give me five eleven ish, and yep. because you know, the bigger people, they get the shot first, and they get way more shots at the at whatever it is in sports. Cause you can't teach six, five, you know, it's plenty of five, five people, but you go, man, you know, I'm telling you, I can make it work. I can make it work. So I definitely agree, agree with that sentiment. Um, so last what? if I were to take this back to my, my classroom to show my, my teenagers, which I often do, I actually played some of a, a podcast today, What advice would you give to someone in high school, 14 to 18 years old-ish?
0: I would ask them this question. Ooh, a question. I'd I'd, I'd ask them two questions. Oh, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe it's one. Okay, I'm going to start. It would be this. What would you do or say in your life right now, if you weren't afraid? Mm.
1: Can I what ask would you that you try?
0: So what would you try? What would you say to someone? How would your, how would your greatest self show up if you weren't afraid?
1: Wow. That is a, a question to think about because now you go, okay. Well, we're afraid of changes depending on who we're around. hmm Like if I'm around my wife, that question, how I would answer will be different as opposed to being in the classroom or being at my church or being somewhere else, right? That's, ooh, that's interesting. That's quite interesting.
0: Well, there's underneath that... What I find when I coach teenagers and I ask them that question and then they give me an answer. And if I go underneath it, the number one thing that stops us, the number one fear, like what would we do if we weren't afraid? We are afraid of what people will think. Mm. So we play, we're avoiding disapproval by playing it safe by not raising our hand, by going to the end of the line. Sitting in the
1: back of the room.
0: Sitting in the back of the room, passing instead of shooting. So that fear, here we're coming back to the F word again. Like this F word keeps coming up. What would we do if we weren't afraid? And I think if we face that fear and look in the mirror, we have a better chance Hmm. of doing something with that fear instead of that fear Fear holding us hostage.
1: Yep. That's it. That's it. That's where we have to end it. That was perfect. That was perfect. Now, of course, we can't leave here, Shawnee, without you telling everybody where they can find you, website, socials, wherever you are, if they want to uh, enlist for your services or just find you and listen to you more, where can they do that?
0: My website's a good place to start. It's shawneeharley.com. And I'm sure you'll probably have this somewhere in your show notes or all those things that you do. And my social media, my handle is at Shawnee Harley. And I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.
1: Well, uh, don't be afraid, everyone. You can contact Shawnee and talk about fear and emotions and getting not over those things. I think she would agree with this more, getting through those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Signing off. For Shawnee, this is your host, Tony Rambles of the Living Numbers Podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, download, because there's tons of great, great episodes. I think I'm like, Episode 70-ish. I don't know when people will be listening to this, but uh, we're going strong. And uh, we'll keep pushing each other and encouraging each other. I'm so glad we were able to do this episode and get so many great nuggets. I will have to share this definitely with with our coaches and with our players. And you just never know what what you can say and do that will change uh, people's mind and how they see things. So thank you for coming on, Sean.
0: Go get it, listeners.
1: I will see you all in the next round. Perfect.